0: You are tired of average you want more out of life you know you're capable of something greater this show will help you become resilient in your home at work and in your community welcome to the resilient humans podcast with your host kevin wood all right guys welcome back to the resilient humans podcast and man do i have a stellar guest lined up for today He's a dual, certi- dual board certified physician, and I just found out a former CrossFit coach, so that's pretty cool. Uh, functional medicine, helps people bring life into the world and also helps people exit the world, which we're going to really dive into on that. Uh, man, welcome my guest, Dr. Nathan Riley. Kevin, it's great to be seeing you face-to-face instead of in the
1: texting, the texting uh, game. It's, really, it's all really good,
0: nice to man. with man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I was telling somebody earlier. I'm I have a nervous excitedness to this episode just because (laughs) it's a topic that I am so foreign to, um, but I'm trying to lean more towards the excited aspect. So,
1: well, it's uh I have a very privileged job in the world, which is not so much a duty like in the sense that we use the word job. It's more of a, uh, it's a very 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 much a privilege the the path that I decided to take where I get to spend time with people during these two very, I think, sacred rites of passage where death is on the line in both case, not necessarily the death of a woman giving birth, because that's fortunately very rare, but these incredible transformations that take place and through a true initiation, death must be on the line. And that's why birth is so important. I really do think if we're going to get anything right in the world, we have to start with how we're attending to babies coming in, because that's where everything starts. And the moment you conceive, we're setting this path for this this little bright soul to fulfill whatever it is that they're going to do in the world and ultimately die. And how we honor that exit, like you said, is, um, is a really magical, magical thing to, to be pondering every day of my life. So, so uh, very rewarding.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So that is the start. What got you started in that?
1: Um, you know, a lot of us smart people, you know, everybody has the ability to take tests. Some of us just answer the test questions, you know, correctly more than others. And that was the incentive structure that eventually gets you into medical school through your residency training. You're being rewarded every step of the way for just staying between the lines and having the right answer. Well, when I first saw a birth, I wasn't super excited about any of the specialties in med school because the way it works is you have two years of hard book work where you're learning everything about anatomy, physiology, and disease. And then you actually get to rotate through all the disciplines, you know, the major disciplines, pediatrics, family medicine, internal medicine, surgery, um, neurology. And after you you make your rounds, you know, there's probably going to be something that jumps out to you. Nothing really jumped out. But then my last rotation was with OBGYN. I had no desire whatsoever to do this. But then I just happened to be on like the first day I walk in and they're like, Oh, you're the new, you know, med student or whatever. Come with me. I'm the chief resident. You're, we're going to go do a birth right now. And I remember being in that room and just like watching this thing happen. I wasn't a dad yet. I, I'm now a, daughter, a, a father of two little girls. First was in the hospital. Second was at home, which we can always talk about. But the, the, the essence of a home birth like we had was exactly the feeling that I had in the hospital. It was just this incredible, powerful thing. And I was like, oh man, I'm never gonna really understand this. There's never gonna be a right answer to the test for this. And that to me was very mm. intriguing. It really, it really hit my brain in a in different ways. It wasn't like I think I'll be good at this. It was actually like, I'm never gonna fully understand this. This is a really interesting thing to dedicate the rest of my life to. So just like with death, which I ended up choosing as a subspecialty um and palliative care, uh, there was like never, there's no right way to die. There's no right way to have a baby. It was this sort of unfolding that you just have to kind of watch and wait. And that to me was, I think, very, uh, it was very inspiring to say the least.
0: Does that, it sounds like you have a, a natural sense of curiosity and is that what kind of came into play there? Like this is all new and I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure this out. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was. it was never going to be a multiple choice test question where, <laughs> where there's like a right answer to this. And so that Gordian knot, you know, for curious people, you want to continue to be curious. That's why medicine is called a, the practice of medicine. And unfortunately, right. the way that it's practiced and within uh, what I call the medical industrial complex, you're usually expected to follow a list of instructions to do certain things. And it's based on fee schedules from your insurance companies. It's based on the C-suite at your hospital. It's based on how your colleagues practice. It's based on guidelines from three-letter organizations. Um, I didn't really like that part. And I've always remained very, very curious. My probably drove my parents crazy. Just always being like, why? What? How does that work? How does this work? It was like, just enough. Just do it the way it's done. That's just how it's done. It's never been great for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, even in my athletic pursuits and now with a, as a father, there's no guidebook to do this. It's like the the ultimate human experience, if you like new things, is every single day gives you a totally new thing that you have to really ponder deeply. Or you could take the path of following the procedures and protocols. And I never liked doing that. So for me, it actually ended up being very rewarding. But I also had to kind of navigate my way through that and and really remain centered around the possibilities and the opportunities that childbirth you know, um, presents to a new mom, a new dad for this new little baby that's emerging into a world and has no concept of anything, let alone time. So curiosity has not killed the cat. It definitely has propelled me forward.
0: (laughs) Have you met any resistance along the way when it came to your, your chosen career choice?
1: You mean like from my colleagues or from either, from
0: either other people or even within yourself?
1: A lot of people don't understand why a man would want to be an OBGYN. gyn okay. um, and a lot of people are like, "That's weird that you look at vaginas all day." And it's like, it, it's it's like any <laughs> other job. Like it's weird looking at a person's plumbing. Like not their plumbing. <laughs> it's probably not the best example <laughs> to like be digging stuff checking out of their shit. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or going under crawl spaces, and installing things. Like that's not a there's spiders and rats and stuff. Like I just chose something that was intriguing. It's not something I'm ever going to experience myself, and um, and so. To answer your question, there's quite a bit of resistance from my colleagues from the administrative sort of body that oversees how medicine is, just, you know, distributed to to populations. But I don't think it's because they disagree with how I practice. I think that they are bound by a system that forced them in the United States to spend maybe a half a million dollars. That's how much debt I have from my my education, half a million dollars on my education. And then i finally get to the end of the tunnel and if i you look back and you don't like what you see like i didn't that's not really what i hoped i would be doing you're not really left with any choices but i was like you know what i've only got one shot at this life i'm going to do the thing that really is inspiring to me and really centered with my maybe my soul's purpose or just with with my my gut you know my gut tells me that this isn't right i'm going to go this direction and i think everybody hears that in in many professions but especially in medicine doctors have high suicide rates I think they're kind of frustrated because they see that I'm doing something that is completely in alignment with what I thought I would be doing when I signed up at 18 to go the pre-med route. And I think that there's a little envy there because they didn't break out of the system, but there are benefits to being there. And um, I'll give one example of when I realized, oh, I'm not going to be really accepted into this club. When I was in residency, I was I told this, this story on uh, Mike Salemi's pa- podcast, uh, The Path. I, you know, you're so sleep deprived and you're not eating very well. You're very malnourished because of the crappy hospital food and crappy water, bright lights. You're in like right angled, uncomfortable rooms when you're at the hospital at night and you're working hundred hour work weeks. And I remember I was so tired at times that if they called me, we were still using pagers like beep, 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 beep. I wouldn't wake up to that annoying beep. I would have to actually put it on my genitals, on my neck, on the, my forehead. It would have to vibrate me, shake me awake. And I realized, like, why am I doing this? Why am I waking up at 3 a.m. to do this thing that doesn't make the patient happy, doesn't make their partner happy, doesn't make the nurse happy, doesn't make me happy? It's just some protocol that somebody wrote that we have to check your cervix every four hours. And I was like, I'm not going to do it anymore. Once I got to, like, somewhat of a seniority in residency, I was like, I'm right. not going to do it anymore. My 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 uh, attendings would give me pushback, but I started carrying around this binder, which is now filled with like mortgage statements and de- pack tax documents. But it had all these studies that justified not intervening in childbirth. So not only was I then getting more sleep and taking better care of myself, but everybody else was happy with me as well, except for the people that were giving me my pass or fail. So I was in like remediation for like four or five times for a month at a time while I was in residency because they didn't think I was cut out for it. But it was because unwillingness to intervene in a process that doesn't require intervention. So there has been quite a bit of pushback. Um, but now I'm a a board certified doc. Like they can't really take that from me now. I have the same credentials as everybody else. I just
0: do things a little differently. (laughs) You'd have to mess up pretty bad for them to. Yeah. I'd have to be like
1: totally drunk trying to do surgery (laughs) or something like that would be a pretty, I would not reward anybody for that. Like you shouldn't be operating drunk. But hey, if we're just doing functional medicine to look at the cause of your infertility or to try to, you know, mitigate the, the, the detrimental impacts that all these interventions have in childbirth or are one third of babies coming through by C-section, like if I can get those numbers down, even if it's against the system, they really can't argue with that because that's what we all want. I think we've just kind of flo- fallen into this current, like with anything where this is the way we do it and we're just going to keep doing it this way until we all fall off a cliff and i i'm not willing to jump in the current i'm going to go the other direction and find my way out of the woods so um so yeah that's that's me
0: i like what you said earlier it, it is a practice like it it takes concerted effort and practice to understand anything it doesn't matter what it is to understand anything it takes practice that's right what do you see as the main differences between that the mainstream institutions and the systems and all the procedures that they have set up versus how you do your practice. Can you give us like a little compare and contrast with that?
1: Yeah. On one hand, there's a war against nature. And on the other hand, my side, there's working with nature. It's pr- pretty darn simple, but it's actually quite complicated when you start to peel the, the layers of the onion back. So as of not even 400 years ago or so, Francis Bacon, Rene Descartes, they actually helped convince the church through their pho- their philosophical writings that the mind uh, and the spirit were separate from the body. That allowed us to dissect into humans and understand. Galen, Aristotle, and Hippocrates were theorizing, so we could like look at blood vessels, look at you know at at uh, the nervous system. We could look at the kidneys and the heart. We could actually understand what was happening inside of a human, and that was an incredible boon to our medical sciences. The problem was that it also sort of inferred that, hey, if it's a, if it's measurable, it's important. The issue with that is that in childbirth, there are very many things, or even in just the daily life of Kevin Wood, just because I can't measure how much you love your, your daughter, it doesn't mean it's not important. Same goes for the power of an orgasm or the spiritual growth that comes through psychedelics. We can't measure that. It's hard to objectify it. And therefore, it's been relegated to not, you know, within the domain of medicine. And so a continuation of that is, hey, once we understand nature, we can control it. And because women are inextricably linked with nature, men are obviously going to be wielding that power, just like the man sitting in the clouds if you, you know, adopted a Christian theology. Way back in the day when women healers and midwives were actually, you know, sort of, (laughs) of running the show in the healing professions it was during times when we had polytheistic or uh or even um sort of female deities that were kind of at the top of you know the goddess of fertility the goddess of healing that type of thing so as we sort of perpetuated this war against nature you see what happens in agricultural systems and forest management and land management and river management pandemics we think that we are going to do better than nature and it hasn't paid out in our food systems any more than it has in medicine. So that's the big thing that distinguishes what I do and what I've always done versus what I was taught and trained through 14 years to do. And I still have those tools, but those tools are relegated to the absolute worst case scenarios.
0: That's interesting how you... I'm drawing the parallels between what you just said and the fitness world as well. It's oftentimes people put all of their value on the scale and everything that they can measure, like how much can I lift? And they actually put their, their identity up against those numbers. There's so much more to it than just the numbers that you can see or measure. How do you feel when you leave here? (laughs) You're not going to measure that on a scale, right? Yeah. What, what yeah, types of connections right. are you making when you're working out challenging your mind and your body besides somebody else? You can't measure those connections either, right? So it's I like the parallels between the two.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we've leaned a little bit too much into tech. Like tech is really great. You know, HRV, uh, your, your, your Quora ring or, you know, all these different devices. That's really cool. Like people love to geek out on that. But I can't tell you how many times I've had a person say, I slept really well last night and they are looking like a zombie and they have to chug a pot of coffee. It's like, well, did you really sleep well last night? Like, I know the device says that, but how do you actually feel right now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's a tool. It can be helpful to see how maybe this new food or this new exercise routine is maybe, uh, hurting or, 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 or benefiting you, but it's, we've been so distracted by this outsourcing of our power and our intuition that we've forgotten about like, what is it in me that feels like a good or bad gut feeling about this? That is actually authoritative knowledge in my experience, especially when it comes to childbirth. So uh, we, I, I personally think we actually need to slow things down, remove some distractions, get our feet in the soil, try to get back into the rhythms of nature. I think it will actually serve us. And then you can check it against your heart rate variability monitor or whatever by sleeping more, by getting your diurnal circadian rhythms back by um, just being outside and getting sunlight. I mean, like those things that you've talked about, those on your podcast, yeah, those are free to you right now. And that's actually going to make it easier for you to get up the next day and to do the things that many of us young fathers, young men have to do.
0: We have a mutual friend. We were talking beforehand, and it's the reason this uh, conversation is even happening, but uh, Mark England, part of the EnLifted program was to go on these solo walks. And during these solo walks, no electronics, nobody else, just you and your thoughts. Yeah. And for me, that was really challenging. Yeah. One of them, he said, go as slow as you can. Go for a stroll instead of a walk. And for me, that was painful because I live life in the fast lane, pedal to the metal, go as fast as I can. I mean, that's what CrossFit's all about. High intensity. Productive. Be productive. Be productive. (laughs) And as soon as I slowed down, I could see more things. I was more aware of how my body was feeling, what thoughts I was, I was thinking the scenery and everything around me. And so I find that's an important message is slow the hell down because you're going to miss out on a lot. And I know with you being a new father, you, you can't go fast. We often. How many, how many times do you hear a, a parent say, oh, I wish I would have done this differently or, you know, they feel like they've missed out on certain aspects of their child's life. I was just having this conversation with my wife last night because I, we knew this was conversation was going to happen. And I asked her, what was your, what was the, the birthing process like for you? Cause I kind of blacked out almost during the whole process, I was so focused on staying with her and in her head and helping her through it. And like, you can do it. You got this, you got this, that I completely missed out on everything else that was happening. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to have her input on that. So where, where was Mark England back then? Nine years ago, <laughs> I needed that, that time yeah. to slow down and actually absorb what's going on. So I guess how, how important is that slowing down in, in the birthing process?
1: Yeah. I think, I think a lot of men see it as sort of like an inconvenience. Like when's it happening? Oh, you know, like there's so many women that have babies and their husbands are, you know, they're, they're stuck at work or whatever else. That's okay. I mean, that's sometimes that's out of your control, but a lot of men also are like, it's not my place. It's not like my thing. You know, I'll be there to tell, help keep the diapers changed and whatever, but I can't feed the baby. I can't do all this. Babies absolutely are not asking you, dad, to give them milk. They're not asking you to fix their problems. They're not asking you to make them feel better. They're actually just asking you to be present with them. And the same goes for this childbirth process. The same goes for attending a death. There's nothing to do when a person is dying. The thing that you can do is sort of the art of doing nothing is actually a very active presence. So your greatest currency as a father is not how much time you spend with your kids. Absolutely not. Get into that trap and you're, you're in trouble. Because you could spend 10 hours of time with your girls. And if you're distracted by work things and you're checking your phone here and there, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Um, it's hard yeah. to become detached when you've got a podcast and a business and a practice and you're, you've got all these people counting on you to do things. But one hour of presence of just playing with my, my girls and playing with their little Daniel Tiger figurines and just really letting them lean into me in my presence, holding that space for them just to be themselves, that is worth more than 10 years of, of scheduled time with my kids. So, oh, soccer game, I've got to go there at six. Um, they want you to be present and and your partner, if you're a young man, maybe you're in this pregnancy journey, you're wondering what your role is. Your role is to be present with that experience so that your partner, your loved one, who's going to be going this, through this tremendous spiritual transformation, isn't going through it alone. You are, you will be transformed by this. But you have to be present with it in order for that to happen. And you have to be willing also to give a piece of yourself, your identity to this new little person. Um I can I can talk about how that worked for me because it was it was a rough, rough road if you'd like. It's I'd love to hear okay.
0: that. Yes. Yes, please dive in.
1: Yeah. So uh I'm a, a big advocate for the use of psychedelic medicines in a responsible um, set with the you know, the right mindset in the right setting and really creating ceremony around this, uh, as you would around childbirth and being with your kids. But I, um, my wife had to have me say out loud when we first found out we were pregnant before we moved out to Kentucky, things are going to change. I, I had a hard time saying it, like said it between my teeth. I was like, things are going to change. <laughs> and I knew they were going to change not because of what I do, but just because I'm not a total dum-dum ding dong. And, um, but I still didn't accept it. Like when the baby came, I was like, she's screaming. I can't make her stop screaming. I don't know what to do. And I started withdrawing a little bit. So about the six month mark with our first Penelope, I, um, my wife and, and daughter, they went to uh, Pittsburgh, our hometown, and they were just like, I don't know, visiting friends or something. And I stayed back because I had some work responsibility. And I decided on that Saturday to take a very, very heavy dose of um, some high potency mushrooms. And I went on this very, very deep journey. And I in that space, I walked through this hallway where, you know, I've, it's been related to me. Maybe you access the Akashic records, you know, whatever, something that it's really hard to put words to. But at the end of this hallway, learning everything that could have ever been known or will ever be known. I ended up at the end and there was a void of nothingness, like not blacks outer space, but like absolute nothingness. And I was shoved out off of this ledge and found myself kind of, kind of felt like, um, remember that movie get out where he's like, falling into the abyss. I don't know. It's a Jordan Peele movie. You might want to check it out. It's really good. Cool. Uh, Kind of felt like that. And there was this voice that came to me that was like, okay, you have everything you've ever wanted. All of the knowledge, all of the experience, you are the ultimate demigod intellectually, but I was completely alone. And it was sort of like what I took from it was like, who are you now that you have all of that knowledge? Is this the person you wanted to be? And at that time, I was like, I, sh- I kind of opened my eyes and I saw baby Bassin in the room and I just cried and sobbed for four hours. I mean, it was just, I could not stop. It was that <laughs> like coming up from the inside, just pouring out of me. And it, it the, the lesson that I took from that was I have to be willing to give a part of me to her. To my daughter in order to really show up as a dad and that requires me to be present with her it's not just keeping them safe and alive that's a big part of it but also being present letting them letting them see you for who you are and seeing them for who they are this beautiful perfect little child that is the essence of fatherhood and that's where i think we don't have a lot of modeling you know you and i probably didn't have a lot of like oh do it just like this person or whatever because it's going to be a new experience it's it's a it's an initiation in and of itself
0: that was a great story, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. I love that story.
1: It scared the hell out of me. It was a very, very, uh, I would say maybe if if I didn't have that beautiful medicine story to go with it, it would have been like, that was too much, but <laughs> I needed it. It was yeah. like, okay, buckle up, buckaroo.
0: <laughs> I, I remember not so much the moments prior or during, but I remember the moments after my daughter was born, like- People say it. it's so cliche, like, your life's going to change. And it does. It's crazy. It's in an instant. You just look down and you're like, holy fuck, that's yeah. real. It's real now. It wasn't just oh an God. idea. <laughs> I guess that's what kicks it into reality is when you can actually lay your eyes on what just was created, what just happened. It's... You can't really describe it. There's really no words for it, um, mm. but it does mm. change who you are to your core uh, when that does happen. So, tell me, tell me about that moment for you. I'm really curious. I, yeah. I know you're the interviewer. I yeah, no, know, it's fine.
1: The that you, well, you <clears throat> probably remember the moment where you, it like something clicked, like a light bulb went off. If you can, can you yeah. lean into that? And I know share. exactly
0: what happened, and it's that I'm not the most important thing anymore. The mm. spot, the spotlight went off of me directly onto her instantly i had no control over that it wasn't conscious it was completely i i let it be i didn't try to force anything and uh i st- i still think about that when i'm not present that's what drives me to give my head a shake and be like, no, no, no. Quit being a douchebag and get back to what you are. You are a dad. That's what matters right now. And that that's as recent as last night. Last night we were, I was like, it was storming here. We just went to the mall. My daughter wanted to pick up some presents for my mom. Cause it's her birthday coming up. And, uh, we got in the car and she goes, can you not be on your phone next time when we all go out together as a family? I'm like, fuck, mm. I messed up. Mm. Guess what I'm doing after this podcast, <laughs> going home it. and hanging with my kids. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just it. And she, like I told you before uh, we started recording, um, she called me on FaceTime right before she's at home. There's no school today. So she's a little bored and calling everybody on her Facebook list. And, uh, I asked her a question and she didn't give me an answer because I think her mom was around. So she was a little hesitant to answer it. I'll ask her later when it's just her and I just alone. And I'd like to hear what your answer is. But I asked her, what's the difference between a father and a dad? And she gave me an interesting answer. And she goes, one of them's older. (laughs) I go, oh, which one? Which one?" She goes, the father. I go, okay and i then i asked follow up question just for my own curiosity i said which one am i <laughs> she didn't know she goes i don't know which one you are i was like okay we'll talk later then and no, that's yeah. we had to hang up there so I think what's really uh, yeah what's that. what's your definition what's how do you differentiate between a father and a dad
1: yeah that's a i never never really thought about that i i guess i guess i i guess what i would say is i would probably equate them to being a boy and being a man, you know, there's a lot of really, you know, well-intentioned, um, kind of call them the lost boys. They're like 26, 27. They're going to get, they're getting pregnant now. They maybe even call me up and they say, Hey, I'm a, you know, a Czech practitioner or something like that. Paul checks, one of my good friends. And he has this big giant coaching practice down in Southern California. And, um, he has a bit of a, uh, a, a very, very mo- dedicated and motivated following. So these young guys who have dialed in their abs, their shoulders, they're, they're lifting heavy stones in their yard, they're drinking the right water. They're just like, they're shredded on Instagram. You know, they've got it all dialed in and now they're going to become a dad. Well, part of becoming a father is is not just fitting your kids into your schedule, but it really is embracing the opportunity that this that this birth of your child, that it provides to you to grow up and to start making decisions for yourself, entirely for yourself, using you know information or insights or whatever from the government, from your peace, priest or pastor, from mom and dad, whatever. But ultimately, you're going to make decisions and you're going to own the outcomes of those decisions. That, to me, is the essence of manhood. But there are still a lot of people. We saw this happen in the past couple of years in both of our countries with um, the thing And, um, when we, we think about how we have sort of been conditioned to outsource our power our whole lives, when you're a parent, there is absolutely nobody that will save you from the decisions you make on behalf of your child. In other words, just because the CDC says this thing is good for your kid, it really still comes down to you. But the ownership of the outcomes of your decisions, that is manhood. And so you can be a dad you can pay child support and do all this other stuff but if you haven't atoned for your lack of presence early in the life of this child you're never going to be that child's father i suppose because you're not in you're not a man you're you're still a child living in a a ripped 37-year-old's body 10 years after the birth so I'm, what I'm not saying is you have to give up your healthy lifestyle. Absolutely not. In fact, you need to double down. You need to really start prioritizing your time towards less distractions, slowing down, as you mentioned, and really dialing in your lifestyles to make sure that you're healthy for as long as you possibly can be. But your two to three hour gym workouts do not become a, a, a surrogate to becoming a good dad. You have to be willing to change and give a piece of your identity over. That is a sign of of actually addressing the initiation, the rite of passage. If you don't go through the, the the fire, then you're never going to become tempered on the other end. And a, a big part of going through the fire is going through a lot of pain, emotionally, mentally, maybe spiritually. Certainly it can be physically, and it can be very, very hard to do this. But that's where the that's where, to me, that's the distinguishing factor between boys and men, is you've been willing to make decisions entirely f- from your gut and from your brain, this combination of things. If it feels right, and nobody's, you know, nobody's going to tell you what's right for you. You have to make the decision, but the ownership of the outcomes of those decisions, that's where, that's where the men start to show up. And I don't think our generation actually did that very well. A lot of them were going to the bars and going to sports and whatnot, trying to, to sort of aiming in your face, knowing you have nothing to offer them up, just loving them through those dark times. That shows them that you're going to be there forever. If you love the darkest times, that's what the guidebook, I think someday that somebody should write. That's what it should say. <laughs>
0: Someday. Someday that'll be written. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It it almost sounds like it's the person has to be willing to shed their old self like a snake shedding its skin. Like they have to almost be reborn themselves in order to accept that new identity of who they are.
1: Yeah. and, And since you brought that up, this is a really important point about childbirth is everybody says childbirth is safe. Yes. Physically, you're unlikely to die. Fortunately, giving birth, your baby's unlikely to die. Um, Even in some of the poorest nations in sub-Saharan Africa, most babies are living, you know, to be adults. Like that's great news. But to say that childbirth is safe is erroneous. It gets back to what I was saying before about these early philosophers if the only thing we care about is whether or not you're alive or dead then that means that we're just entertaining ourselves until we die there's no growth that happens if it's just a matter of avoiding death you don't ride motorcycles you don't take jump out of airplanes you don't um <laughs> you don't go to the bar and try to pick up a girl because you might have your heart broken like just avoid death and everything's going to be fine When we consider the, uh, what I like to get people to consider is there's nothing safe about spiritual transformation. There's nothing safe about taking a bunch of mushrooms by yourself at home. And I don't mean it's going to hurt me or my liver or my kidneys or whatever. I mean that spiritual transformation in and of itself is a death of your old self and a rebirth of somebody new. That doesn't sound safe at all. And it's not safe, but that's why we need to bring ceremony back in. We need to integrate the insights from elders, and we need to really um, set intentions with deliberate intentions with every single thing that we do in life. So, in the birth, in the process of having a baby, men, many women, I felt like I was going to die. You did die. This New person on the other end is now longer a maiden; you're a mother. And the men, I, you know, I don't know King Warrior Magician Lover. I'm not sure exactly how to fit that into the framework because I think everybody starts at a different place. But you will be different. Energetically, you will be different, and if you aren't, you aren't willing to shed that old identity and make something new. I can't help you with that. That's something that we're you're going to need. You're going to need some uh, some deep introspection with.
0: That's interesting. You say that that some people are so caught up on holding on to that old identity. Yeah. Where I feel like I didn't even have the choice. Like it just it just happened to me. Yeah. And maybe that's the type of mindset you have before going into it, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset could definitely get, definitely be it. That's right. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way, but that's uh that's very interesting. I love that you brought up the, the concept of ceremony. Um, can you dive into that? And we, we can definitely go into the, the death side of it as well. Cause that, that side fascinates me to no end. Um, so I guess what are those ceremonial type of, um, rituals that that we're missing out on in birth and or death i think we we become so um
1: so ceremony is the way that you show up during any growth period uh you know when we think of ceremony and the way that i use the word at least once here was it was a medicine ceremony there is uh an an invitation to source spirit whatever that i i, I want to engage and Whatever that engagement looks like is largely out of my control. But again, I'm willing to accept the uh, responsibility or the outcomes of the decisions I've made. And the way that you show up in anything can be like a really, really hard physical thing. Um, You go in with the right mindset in the right setting. You try to prepare yourself as, as good as possible. And then this tremendously challenging thing happens to you. And after that challenging thing, there's this incredible, we could even look at the neurochemistry of this. There's in, this incredible stress that was just put on your nervous system. To close that experience, this is where ceremony comes into play. Like you didn't just have a baby, you fucking gave birth. You just <laughs> transformed baby. And if, if we can honor that as a sacred transformation and do some closure at the end and really integrate this incredibly challenging experience, That's the only way that you can grow. Otherwise, it stays locked up in you, which the word that I would use is trauma. It becomes locked up in your body as trauma. It's unintegrated stress. So when you enter anything in your life, um, having sex is actually a ceremony. You're not just going there to get your rocks off. You can do that in your garage, like with a bottle of lotion. Like you, You don't need a partner to do that. But when you engage, the masculine and feminine engage in that way, it is a tremendously uh, vulnerable place you guys are both in. You can get very, very hurt by something somebody says to you in that ceremony or how you, how you look at somebody or whatever. Um, and I'll argue also that orgasm is probably as close as you can get to a, a direct uh, um, audience with, with God, spirit, source, call it what you will, next to giving birth. I mean, that is really a, an audience with the divine when you go into these experiences, you need to close that loop and the entire experience from start to finish needs to be honored. You can say the same about death, but of course we don't have people who afterwards have come back and said, oh good, I integrated the stress of that. Right? <laughs> Thanks for all kidding. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Right. Thanks for the, you know, the, the soothing music and the morphine or whatever. Um, but it's the same sort of thing in birth. I think I see it as the other side of the coin, you know, death and birth kind of being the same thing only in that these are both tremendously important initiations. You can call it soul or whatever, but something came in when a baby arrived and something goes out when this person dies. And our sometimes inability to treat it as a sacred process, but rather treat it as a medical procedure, takes the spirit out of the experience and it treats it as just a merely physical thing, just like with death. We, we aren't cool with people dying until we've spent a trillion dollars trying to eke out a couple extra minutes or hours or days of life with, you know, artificial blood pressure support or ventilators or whatever else. It doesn't mean that those things aren't sometimes good, but we've, but this lack of ceremony is degrading to our relationships, to, um, to our sex lives, to, to how we relate to ourselves, to, um, getting to wherever it is that we want to be. It just kind of sticks us here. And the, the, so I guess the takeaway here is that we have to be able to integrate these, these incredible experiences. That is where the ceremony comes from. But we nowadays, we're so driven by productivity and getting to the next thing that we forget about the journey itself. And that journey is really where the magic happens.
0: That, that reminds me back, I don't know what it was like where, where you're from, but here they were locking people out of the hospitals while their parents were dying. Yeah. Like you you couldn't even be in the same building as them because you didn't want to spread COVID. And right to me, that was the most like, sure, close down my business, whatever, we'll we'll do what we can. But when you take away that ceremony of dying with your loved ones beside you, that really I was so angry. Yeah. So yeah. angry at that. Yeah. Nobody, nobody deserves. The way that they were treated during that time, yeah,
1: I I can I could share a little brief story there. My grandfather passed away at 100 years old in a couple months. Like it was three months into his 100 100 first year, and it was 2020. It was August when he passed away, and we went to celebrate his birthday, June 10th. That was his birthday, and um, he was in an assisted living facility with my grandmother, who had pretty advanced dementia, but they were living in this little apartment together. He was blind, but he still had it up here. She could see, but didn't really have it going on up here. So they kind of just worked together and, you know, having been married for like 75 years or 80 years or something, I mean, just incredible. Um, So he was a hundred years old on June 10th and two months later he died. But while we visited him on June 10th, we weren't allowed to touch him. We're not really even allowed to see him. They wheeled him out in like a bubble suit. Yeah. It was like was The Pope mobile or something. And he's waving. And I, I went over and I grabbed his hand and I was like, grandpa, I love you. And he was like, who is that Nathan? You know? And oh, I love you too. Uh, just kind of tired of this, you know? And he didn't even really appreciate what was going on. And of course they used to say that pneumonia was an old man's best friend and we were determined to not let this guy get COVID. And he had been praying for God to take his life. He was a good Lutheran boy please take me. I don't want to wake up tomorrow for like five years. He told me every single time God still isn't listening. And he started actually questioning his faith. I mean, it was that troubling. And now there's this thing that they're promising is going to kill all these old people. And he's like, take me, take me. And they're like, "Uh, uh, uh, let's put you in a hermetically sealed package and we'll let you wave at your family because heaven forbid you get sick. So that really, he was my closest grandparent in many ways. And he was my last grandparent. And it really, really, um, well, my I guess, my grandmother who who died after him two weeks later, which you hear all, all the time, yeah, um, kind of died around the same time, but it was during 2020, you know, who knows? I was a doctor initially. I was like, Oh, this seems kind of scary. There's Humvees outside of my hospitals and whatnot. Um, but then I quickly started reading in between the lines and I was like, Oh no, what's going on here? And, and, you know, everybody knows the story, but then 20, it was, it was, um, September second, twenty twenty one, I went to see. I was working as a hospice doctor, and I went to see this guy who was at a nursing facility and hadn't seen a face or been touched in eighteen months, and he was locked away in this little cell. People would like sneak food in his room, and then they would run away. You know, everybody's got masks on; family can't visit. And I went there. I had the permission to go into his room. I. He was like, "Hey." how are you doing? Uh, I haven't seen a face. I haven't had anybody around. Like I kind of just want to die. He's 95 has heart failure. And so I was like, do you want me to take off my mask? Like I'm, I'm totally cool with that. You know, I was only wearing it anyways. (laughs) because I was supposed to, to be here. And so he was like, oh, please. And he was like, oh, you've got a beard. I used to have a beard. And we were talking about his time in the war and he was an amateur league baseball player. And, you know, we sat and watched some baseball together and I made him some soup and trimmed his toenails, rubbed lotion on his hands and feet. And and, uh, I let him listen to his heart with his, with my, my stethoscope. And I was like, man, you've got a wicked murmur. And he's like, that's what they tell me. Can I hear it? And, you know, we were just like, he like finally was getting some love. And I was determined not to let this happen to every person I cared for on my service in the way that it happened to my grandfather, completely alone, without any dignity. And my grandfather was like an artilleryman at this like beaches of Normandy. Like this guy lived a hell of a life. And here he is just dying alone with nobody and no affection in his life. So the next day I got fired on the spot because I took my mask off. This is the kind of light. I mean, so this, that story and what you shared, and thank you. Um, this is where we see the lack of ceremony and reverence for the human experience. This is how it's playing out. And it's not just COVID. It's our our efforts to control agricultural systems. It's our our efforts to force kids to sit in rows and five by five you know, rows in their school every day, learning about stuff that maybe they just want to go and play outside. And we're forcing them to learn reading at age four. Like it's a lack of, of ceremony and ritual around every stage of development in our lives. And it's ever more present in what I do professionally in birth and death.
0: Man. <clears throat> I'm trying not to get too emotional about that story you just told. So
1: <laughs> it, it impacted me very very personally and professionally. I lost two jobs during COVID, and that's when I finally was like, fuck this. I'm, I'm fucking over this. There's no no more no more no more Mr. nice guy just playing by the rules in the hospital system. No. We
0: <laughs> we need more people like you. Thank you. All right. Let's let's shift to something a little more positive here. <laughs> I, I actually down.
1: want to acknowledge that you that you get emotional on your show, and yeah, even with me right now, I feel like that is more of a man than anybody. If you guys aren't getting emotional, seeing what's happening in the world at times, um, I'm not so sure you've got a pulse. I mean, this is important stuff, and for us as men to be emotional around the birth of a baby, around the death mm-hmm. of a loved one or just reflecting on just how cruel some of our neighbors have been to one another. That is adulthood. That is manhood. You're, you're reaching that father stage. (laughs) Our girls need that from us.
0: Absolutely. And I, you know, I love spending time with her and letting her in and telling her that we also have stress and anxiety and she, it's okay to feel those things. And,
1: you know, Feel it, feel it all, and let it out. Like, even if my, my little girl is having, like, you know, what they, somebody might call a tantrum, she's just got so much energy and maybe anger or, or whatever. I, she doesn't know why her elbows and knees hurt. She's growing like a weed. And she just screams, and you can, like, you know, patronize her, you know, put her in a room, smack her. Like, you, you know, people do all these things as if it's bad behavior. My wife is so elegant in how she handles this. And it's not easy, but we'll, like, we'll just all start screaming. Like, everybody scream. Let it all out. And if you need further, go and punch a pillow. Scream Mm -hmm. into a pillow. Let that shit out. I want you to emote. And you should never feel bad about emoting, especially young boys. Like, you're going to be told it's not cool to cry. It's not cool to whatever. Fuck that. Like, emote. All of the women you ever meet in your life are going to thank you for that. Kids, your parents, everybody. Nobody's ever... um, Nobody worth your time has ever... Uh, Turned their back on somebody who's openly, authentically in touch with their feelings. Period. It's just, it's just true. It's a fact.
0: I don't know when that shifted for me. I was always the like Mm -hmm. tough guy and never show your emotions. And I don't know. I remember, I remember one moment specifically. It was during COVID. Our our gym was shut down, and I just went out on my front deck, grabbed my phone, and started shooting a video. And just gushing to my members about they're all I'm thinking about. And I want to make sure that they're getting through this. And, uh, it, it came out, it came out hard and, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate when other people are real and raw and don't cover stuff up. A friend of mine just posted something the other day about postpartum depression and you know how she's gonna listen to this and she's gonna say, You son of a bitch. Anyway, <laughs> I won't say any names or anything, but um yeah, she made a post recently about it and the support just came pouring out. Mm. Women, men that are listening to this, there is no need to hide. There's nothing to hide from. The only thing you're hiding from is your own insecurity. Yeah. And that's really all it is. Everybody else out there, out here, we are willing to accept you as you are. Mm-hmm. So I just want that message to be sent out that people, you you can be real around me. You can be yeah. real around Dr. Nathan Riley. Yeah. We're we're here for you. We're on your team. Right.
1: I think uh, you know, I, I said all the women in your life are gonna really, you know, value that how about all the men in your life? I mean, how desperate are we all for authenticity nowadays? The media, Instagram, social media, whatever, it's all telling you how to think, how to show up in the world, what's valuable. And you have no idea what's really there except in your direct experience. And right now, when I meet somebody like you or any of the number of incredible men in my life, when they are vulnerable with me or they're just like, hey, I don't know. Like, I I, I made a mistake. I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I'm insecure about this or whatever. That gives me permission to be authentically myself. I am not perfect, but like far from perfect. And my wife and I met when we were 15 or 16 and she's still, if I like get teary eyed, she knows like this is our opportunity to connect. Like that is the deep connection. And oftentimes, believe it or not, it actually leads to us having sex. (laughs) deep, deep connection. I crave that so much from not just my wife and my girls and my friends, but like all of the men in my life. Like I desperately crave for you to just acknowledge sometimes that you don't know or that you're scared because now I can actually, you can lean into me and when I need you, I can lean into you. But if we're both these stoic warriors all the time, then we're just like pounding smoothies, eating bacon and like talking about our reps. Like That to me is so uninspiring.
0: I want to know. I hate, know, I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great that you bring this up. It's it's come up on another episode that I did with um, Dave Robinson and talking about men's mental health and how yeah. he, he brought up a stat that the average man has 0.5 like, close friends that are men that they would actually feel comfortable opening up with. We all have those ones that like, Hey, you want to go for a beer? Great. Hey, there's some sports. Let's go watch those. But to actually like get raw and real with one of those, those individuals, it's rare these days. And so, yeah, it is my, my hope and intention that messages like this and conversations like this will help inspire other men to be more open and vulnerable with the other men in their life. It is needed. It's needed well now, you know you brought up that, never.
1: yeah yeah absolutely I, I don't know if we were talking about kyle kingsbury a buddy of mine bef- if, if it was before we started recording but yeah um kyle's a former ufc fighter and he's become a dear friend of mine and i bring his name up a lot because when you see this guy and you hear about his history you know pretty rough upbringing and all of that and how he had to shift from being a person who was going into a uh, uh an arena to kill somebody effectively right yeah um Going with that mindset, if, you know, I've, I've gotten very close to him over the years and while he's six, four and in like an Adonis, he's like a walking, astonishingly, uh, muscular and lean individual. He could pop my head off in a second, but he also gives me the greatest, warmest hugs and a kiss on the cheek. And he always tells me like, if he's having a hard time, he'll sometimes call me up or I'll call him up and just saying like, I just don't know what to do about this thing. Like that is the glue that binds us together. Like, yep. Uh, if if you are willing to walk through the fire with me, then I know then I know that we are going to be friends forever, but I don't know if you can walk through the fire with me. If we're just kind of skimming the surface, the way that your surface dad and level and father yeah. modeled for you.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. I'd love to hear your, um, this episode, this, this podcast is obviously about resilient humans. I'd love to hear what, I ask everybody this. I'd love to hear what your definition is. How would you describe resiliency in your own words?
1: I got to tell you, Kevin, the word resiliency still is a trigger for me. And I'll tell you why.
0: Yeah, go When for I was
1: in residency at Kaiser Permanente, they had a lot of resiliency trainings. And what it ultimately equated to was like, oh, a lunchtime yoga session, a half assed yoga session uh, during the <laughs> 25 minutes that you would otherwise get to eat food. You're going to do yoga or, um, here's a breathing exercise. Like it's all like the intentions are there and they actually are using the right modalities. It was how it was implemented and advertised as like, this is the way to be, to thrive, you know, as a doctor. Meanwhile, there is a super high suicide rate amongst American doctors. We are all miserable because we're, we're, you know, working long hours. We're not sleeping. And they're like, Hey, pizza party on Tuesday, doctor appreciation day or whatever. (laughs) And you so the word resiliency, for me, I've always been like, oh, because when I was during during that really, really hard time in my life, yeah. I um, it felt like a canary in the coal mine, right? They're just like silencing the canary. Like, oh, you have to be resilient. It's on you to be resilient. And I was like, fuck you. Like, I am in adrenal fatigue and <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm shitting my brains out. I'm getting chills every night. Like, what the fuck are you talking about resiliency? How about giving me a day off? Like, that would actually help me. You jump, bounce back to work, but I digress. The, the my <laughs> definition, <laughs> my definition is is probably pretty cliche, but you know you can either be rigid in the world or you can be that that blade of of grass and and just flow through that grass uh, is is a resilient, um, vital thing versus a um, I don't know like a dead branch or something that just snaps with the the little bit of pressure that's put onto it i think that we focus so much on the physical through lab work and biohacking and this is a lot of what i do in my my practice a lot of lifestyle medicine but at the end of the day it's those six like foundational principles of how you're eating how you're moving how, what's your mindset like what is your are you setting emotional boundaries um or are you just in productivity mode at all times and and in negating the importance of all of those things that ladder person is not resilient. You're going to blow a tire. I've blown fuses in my life and it is not easy to recover from that. Like, you know, severe adrenal fatigue. When I was in uh, residency, I had that the first time and I got it again, um, in shingles to boot in, uh, around the birth of our second daughter. Cause I was just working myself too hard, working myself to the bone, because that's what I'd been told was the valuable thing to do for a man. And, um, on the other hand, a resilient person should be able to go into the fire and come out and brush it off, and do it again another day. You just can't stand in the fire. That is not. Doesn't matter how strong you are, what your snatch is, what your murph time is. Eventually, that will catch up to you, and you're going to blow a fuse. So resilience to me is to be able to show up physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and um, with without compromising um, what's important to you every day in your profession, in your family life with your girls or your kids. And um so staying true to yourself, being able to roll with the punches, but also being able to to take a break and slow down.
0: That is a a true holistic answer. I would expect nothing <laughs> yeah. less from you. <laughs> it's good. I have heard sure. answers. That's crazy. Like everybody I ask, it's always different and I always learn a new, a new side of it. And so down the road maybe there'll be a book about resiliency based on all of the the interviews yeah. that I've done but man it's been yeah. cool to hear the different perspectives and and views on what it actually is and I'm seeing that more often than not now what you just described before you know if I would have done this podcast 10 years ago and said what's resiliency it would have been what you described at the start like Rigid, hard, hustle, work every day, you know, the and
1: stoic throughout. Like you're never, yep. you don't, don't you know emotions. Look like you're having a hard time. Yeah. Yep. That's not a resilient person. I'm like, it's sort of like the, like you go to Target and there's a sign. Somebody sent me this meme the other day. It was like, I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough. I'm enough for like your door. And yeah. he sent it to me and was like, here's how you know your neighbor needs help. <laughs> Yeah, exactly just putting these like tchotchke signs up in their door and it's like you're not enough you need to like just chill like you need some close companionship you need to be yeah
0: you gotta um, knock on their door and say how are you really doing yeah 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 yeah. exactly exactly right i understand you have a uh, a new course coming up can you tell us a little bit about that and uh yeah let us know what's going on with on your side yeah
1: well, I'm highly, I've been highly sought after these past couple of years because of my views on medical freedom and my advocacy for, towards home birth and natural pregnancy and all this stuff. Um, and in order to make myself more available, I've, I've got this course. It's in collaboration with a midwife from Ina May's farm down in Tennessee, has a bit of a legacy there. Her name's Sarah Rosser. We kind of put our minds together and put together the ultimate pregnancy and postpartum educational program that you could ever ask for. Um, it's called the Born Free Method. You can find it at bornfree The website will be live in a couple of weeks as of the time that we're recording, but we'll open a wait list in mid to late April. And um in addition to covering all of the typical stuff you'd expect in a childbirth education class, that's like one twentieth of it. We get into radical responsibility, um, informed consent, the principles of bioethics, and of course, you know, the risks, benefits, alternatives to everything from vaccines to rogam to vitamin K to induction to C-section. I mean, it is so comprehensive we get into psychedelics and cannabis use we get into in pregnancy and postpartum, we get into, there's a whole unit just for dads. It's something that I wish I would have had. And there's multiple interviews with incredible dads out there. And, um, and I'd love to have an interview with you at some point, Kevin, to put it into our little vault of resources. Um, it is everything that anybody has ever asked me and Sarah about this journey through pregnancy into parenthood. And, um, and, uh, oh, I, sh- I should probably mention that it also includes a weekly mastermind call for 12 months. So you buy the course, and overall you're going to end up spending 250 bucks per month, and you get access to me, basically unlimited access to me and Sarah. This is our offering to the world as a new flagship course for what people actually need to know in pregnancy through the lens of both allopathic and more holistic modalities as it pertains to pregnancy and childbirth
0: remarkable and do you know of anything else like that out there currently or is this like cutting edge stuff now this is as there is nothing like this
1: i mean i can't even tell you what there's no resource out there where you're taking taken through roughly an eight-week guided tour of everything under the sun that might be presented to you in your pregnancy um so instead of working with me one-on-one you buy the course and you still get to ask any follow-up questions in the mastermind we wanted to make sure that it was like it is kind of a big middle finger to the system because the first couple units we even go over the history of obstetrics and midwifery and how we got to a maternity care system where we're pushing vaccines that haven't been even validated for safety in, in any you know true trial um how those are being universally offered to pregnancy we go into the radical responsibility piece, the the informed consent. What do these things actually mean? We help you build a birth plan. We help you practice in an exercise, practice saying no. Do you want to go to the movies? Oh, I don't know. I think I might have something going on. No, no, thank you. That, that practice alone is so critical for you to exercise your autonomy in childbirth. And there are several units on all of the lifestyle things, exercising, what to eat, the best prenatal vitamins, the specific nutrients. Sleep mindset, your adrenal health. I mean, it gets into everything. It's like a, the a compendium of my entire body of knowledge after 38 years of studying this stuff. And it's uh, I'm super stoked for it. So anybody out there that wants to find it, you can find me at um, Nathan Riley ObGyn on Instagram. My website's belovedholistics.com, and of course, Born Free Method is where you'll find the course. I do take one on one clients. I have a lot of clients flying around going to home births and everything, but everything's at my website. You'll you'll find it there
0: yeah we'll I'll share all those in the show notes as well so if anybody's interested they can click through and find more information or you know link up with you on Instagram and and just start diving into your resources and knowledge and everything so i've listened to a few of the podcasts that you've been guests on and a few of your own and man you're a wealth of knowledge your passion for what you do is apparent in everything that you you do <laughs> you you can't you can't miss it it's, it's right there. It. So uh, for anybody it. to listen to this, yeah, dive in. You'll, you'll know what I mean once you see your first or listen to your first episode. So yeah. Nathan, it's, it's been a fun. great, great having you on the show. Thank you so yeah. much for this. I really appreciate it. So uh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.